That was Nathan in the video, wasn't it? Yeah. Hey, he's got some moves. <laughs> uh, I wish I could move like that. All right. Um, so today's passage, we're continuing the series in Mark. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. Uh, I just realized my NIV translation is from 1984. Uh, there was a revision in 2011, so uh, it might be slightly different, but just bear with me. So Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 45. And the word of God reads, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing... You can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. As a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him wherever he went. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we we thank you for Mark's gospel. Uh, We thank you for the faithful account uh, in recording the details of the ministry of Jesus. And Lord, for the second consecutive week, we're going to look at another miraculous healing pointed, uh, performed by Jesus. And Lord, we pray to be able to look beyond the miraculous sign itself and be able to look to what this sign was pointing to, the identity of Christ. Uh, we pray through today's passage and this healing uh, that we be able to understand what this event in Jesus' ministry was foreshadowing and how it should shape our relationship with your Son and the way we should walk with him today. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now, um, as people sort of get to know me, uh, one thing that they always say is um, I'm like an onion. Uh, The more they unpeel me, the more they want to cry. (laughs) Um, Because I'm very weird. Uh, one of the things that's weird about me is I love horror movies. Uh, before I became a Christian, I was so obsessed with horror movies that I used to walk into cemeteries at night because I wanted to see a ghost, like a real-life ghost. Um, I was fascinated with exorcisms after I became a Christian. It just Anything supernatural fascinated me. I loved this feeling of being scared. And... During this period where I, I wanted to like, I just immerse myself in horror movies, uh, I watched a lot of exorcism and demonic movies like just, that came out of Hollywood. Uh, but when I was younger, there was a movie that came out about a serial killer, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Recently, Netflix did their own version. Uh, but this, this man is like one of the most notorious serial killers in history. He was dubbed uh, the Milwaukee Monster. And... It's said that he murdered about 17 young men during the 1980s. 17. And these are just the ones that they found out about. And this recent series on Netflix, it's called Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. It detailed the nature of the murders that he committed. Uh, Now, whilst murder in and of itself is a terrible thing, what made his, uh, his crimes so heinous? 
uh, with the details that came to the surface uh, once he was arrested in the early 90s. Because Jeffrey not only murdered and butchered his victims, I know it's a bit grim, uh, not only murdered and butchered his victims, uh, but he later confessed that he was a cannibal. He actually ate his victims because he wanted his victims to be inside of him. Uh, it's very weird. Now, what made this whole thing uh, more terrifying was that Jeffrey, if you ever see a picture of Jeffrey Dahmer, he just looks like a regular guy. If you like The Office, like me, he kind of looks like Dwight Schrute. Um, but he just looks like a regular guy with glasses, and if you saw him on the street, you wouldn't look twice. He just looked like your average Joe. Uh, he didn't look like a sadistic murderer, let alone a cannibal. And yet, he's considered one of the most wicked men in all of human history, one of the most disturbed serial killers of all time. And what makes the story of Jeffrey Dahmer even more crazy is that if you actually listen to a lot of his interviews after his arrest, uh, you'll find that towards the end of his life, um, he, he became, or reportedly became, a born-again Christian. In his interviews, he speaks of his faith in Christ in quite some detail. Uh, he explains that, you know, when he was an unbeliever and he believed in this theory of evolution, that he, through the theory of evolution, he believed that there wasn't really any intrinsic value that you could attribute to life. Because if there's no moral lawgiver, if there's no creator of the universe, no standard of right and wrong, then there really isn't a right or a wrong. And life doesn't really have value because it has no purpose. If we're just a bunch of cells vibrating, existing in a random universe, then life isn't that valuable. Life is quite cheap. And Jeffrey then comes to a climax in his interview where he confesses, he says, I've come to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the true creator and I've accepted this Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. Now, when I heard him say these words for the first time, it made me feel very uneasy. Because you've got to remember that this is a guy that murdered, butchered, and ate 17 people. He didn't just kill them. He committed horrendous acts upon his deceased victims. And so, as I heard him confess his faith in Christ, I closed my eyes and I tried to imagine the day that I died, the day that I go into eternity and I stand before Christ, worshipping worshiping him for all eternity. And I tried to imagine what I would be thinking, how I would feel if I turned my head and saw this man, Jeffrey Dahmer, the man who killed 17 people and ate his victims, how I would feel if I saw this man standing next to me, worshipping Jesus alongside me. How would I feel? How do you think you'd feel? If I were to be honest, I think I'd feel a bit uncomfortable. I think I would look at Christ and be like, really? Like this guy? He's here? Because for someone like Jeffrey Dahmer, when we weigh up the savage nature of his heinous crimes, even though we do celebrate we're a people of the gospel and we celebrate the power of God's grace, there is a part of us that deep down wants to categorize someone like Jeffrey Dahmer as an individual that's beyond redemption. 
This is a guy that's unsavable. How do you save a guy like this? How could you show mercy to an animal like this? Now, the reason I share this illustration is because in today's passage, Jesus encounters a particular individual. And he was an individual that was considered by the people of his day as someone that was unsavable. This was a man that suffered from leprosy. Verse 40 states that a man with leprosy came to him, came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, make me clean. Now, if you've gone to church for any period of time, you would have, you'd know to a reasonable extent what leprosy is. But in case you don't know, leprosy is a horrendous medical condition and it damages the nerves of the body. It's a condition that results in horrific disfigurement blindness, and then you get covered from head to toe in these disgusting ulcers. And as the illness progresses and worsens, uh, the, the people that suffer from leprosy, they'll find that they'll lose, start to lose parts of their body. It'll just start to rot and fall off. And then on top of that, they lose any sensation of pain that their bodies can experience. Now, if you lose your sensation of pain, at first it doesn't sound that bad, does it? It's like, why would you want to feel pain? Uh, but pain is actually a grace of God. The reason God allows us to experience pain, one of the reasons we experience pain is so that our bodies can react. If you grab a, a red-hot frying pan and it burns your hands, you experience pain and it signals to your body, you better let go of this. And so with people with leprosy, uh, they have no ability to experience pain. So when they do hurt themselves, they have no idea. Like if they gash their leg open, they have no idea unless they look down and see blood pouring from their leg. And because they continue to hurt themselves over time without being aware, the body parts will start to get infected. It will rot and then it will eventually fall off. This leads to infection, necrosis, loss of body parts, and eventually death. Now, in the 21st century, 2,000 years later from today's passage, uh, we, from my understanding, do have a cure for leprosy. Uh, Modern medicine has done wonderful things, and we do have a cure to rid a person of leprosy. But even 2,000 years later, we don't have treatment to reverse the effects of a person that suffered from leprosy. We can get rid of the leprosy, but any impact or effects that they've suffered, it's irreversible. It's a horrific illness. And it was an illness that was considered by the Jews of the time that could only be cured by divine intervention. Back in the New Testament days, if you had leprosy, either God cured you or you're doomed. The people of God believed that death and leprosy were two things that only God could fix. And so the lepers of the New Testament and even the Old Testament, these were people that were categorized as the walking dead. Because if you had leprosy, you were considered ceremonially, uh, ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. Uh, and you were equated with someone that came into contact with the physical body. If you read through the Old Testament, you know that you're forbidden to touch dead bodies. And so if someone touched you as a leper, they kind of treated you like a dead body. You become unclean if you touch a person with leprosy. And so what they did with people 
that had leprosy was they cast them out of the city gates. You weren't allowed to be a part of society. You weren't allowed to be near society, near people, and your own family would disown you. Leviticus 13 says, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be covered, uh, uncovered, rather, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp or outside the city. It was a horrific predicament to be in. If you had leprosy, you had to make it clear to the world that you had this disease. You couldn't wear nice clothes like, I'm wearing a suit right now. If I had leprosy, I would have to tear holes in these clothes so that people would know I had leprosy. My face would be covered with ulcers, dripping with pus. I couldn't cover it up. If you had leprosy, the rule was you had to unveil it for the whole world to see. And on top of that, if you see someone in the distance, like you're not allowed to be near people, but if you saw someone in the distance, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that that person would know, oh, there's a leper over there, better not go near him. You weren't allowed to be in society. You weren't allowed to go into town. You had to constantly live in isolation in the wilderness, cut off from the rest of the world. And according to Jewish tradition, if you were a person that had leprosy and you went into town, you defied these rules and you went into town, the rule was that they could beat you to within an inch of your life using whips and sticks, or if they wanted to, they could pick up stones and stone you to death. And so to the world, physically, you were considered to have a corrupted body because of this horrific illness. Socially, you weren't allowed to be a part of a community. No one wanted anything to do with you. And you weren't allowed to go near anyone. Not your mother, not your father, not your friends. Spiritually, you were considered impure, unclean and unfit for worship. You couldn't worship God. And for those who contracted leprosy, they were classified by the world as a people that were beyond help a people that were unsavable and beyond redemption. Kind of like Jeffrey Dahmer, these people were stuck in the category of being unsavable. Now, if you remember last week's passage, verse 39 concluded with Jesus traveling, traveling through Galilee, uh, going from synagogue to synagogue, preaching the gospel and casting out demons. And it's during these travels that we find in verse 40 that it kind of zeroes in on this detail of this man with leprosy that comes into town looking for Jesus. He comes looking for Christ. And this means that he had to leave his place of isolation, come out of the wilderness, and enter into a town looking for Jesus and searching until he found where Jesus was. This action in and of itself to defy the rules for lepers meant that he was risking his own life, risking being beaten to death by rocks just so that he can find and seek out the Christ. And when he does find him, it says that he falls on his knees in desperation and he pleads and cries out to Jesus. He says, if you are willing, make me clean. If you're willing, make me clean. 
Now, the 2011 translation of the NIV, uh, it says in verse 41 that Jesus was indignant or he was angry. Uh, The 1984 translation and many other English translations uh, don't have the word angry or indignant. It says that he was filled with compassion. Uh, And in case you're wondering why, uh, it's what we call a textual variant where there's different Greek manuscripts that use different words. Uh, But whichever it is, uh, I don't think it actually changes the conclusion of what today's passage is talking about. Because, for example, if you, if you take the translation that Jesus was angry or indignant, it's not actually saying that Jesus was angry at the man, but rather he was angry over his circumstances, angry over the stigma and the persecution and the abandonment that this man had to endure because of his illness. On the other hand, if you take the other translation, uh, it says that he was filled with compassion, and we know that this is consistent with the ministry of Jesus. Because if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find that our king is a king that was filled with love, mercy, and compassion for his people, especially the ones that were impressed and suffering. Now, as I said, uh, whichever translation you choose, uh, the conclusion is still the same. Because what's actually important is that Jesus responds to the leper's request in verse 41 by reaching out, And touching this man and telling him, I am willing. Be clean. And just like I mentioned last week, uh, whenever Jesus performs a healing, it's always an instant healing. It doesn't happen over the course of time. You don't get better bit by bit. But Mark uses the word immediately. Verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. This man's leprosy wasn't partially healed. He wasn't healed gradually over time, but Mark says it left him immediately. Now, I mentioned earlier that in the 21st century, we might have come up with a cure for leprosy, but despite all of the advancements in modern medicine, uh, we still cannot reverse the effects of leprosy. In other words, if you've lost a nose, if you've lost fingers, limbs, if you've lost your eyesight because of leprosy, even though we can cure the leprosy, these things can't be reversed, can't be fixed. However, in the case of today's passage, there is a two-pronged description in the way Jesus heals this man. First, it says that the leprosy left him immediately. So he was cured. Secondly, it says that he was cured or cleansed or restored. This implies that he was not just cured of the leprosy, but that his body was completely restored. So if there was any disfigurement, this disfigurement was completely healed. If there was any amputation or loss of body parts, it meant that it grew back. And we know this because Jesus says to the man, the moment he cures him, he says in verses 43 and 44, it says that Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this, to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Why is this so significant? Like if you see other healings, Jesus just heals them and that's it. But why does he tell this man to go see a priest? What's so, why this extra step? Well, Jewish tradition uh, taught that a priest that this man, this priest, was the one man in the community that had the authority to declare someone either 
ceremonially, ceremonially, I'll get it right eventually, ceremonially unclean or clean. If you were suspected of having leprosy, the priest would examine you. They, he'd visually examine you from head to toe. And depending on how you physically presented to this priest, he would then classify you as either being clean or unclean. If you had leprosy, if he deemed that you had leprosy, you were declared unclean, unfit for worship, and as mentioned, you'd be outcasted from society, cast out of town, and your life would effectively be over. And the reason we know that this man's body was fully restored was by the fact that Jesus told him, go and see that priest. Get yourself physically examined. And we know he was healed because if he still had the visual appearance of someone that had leprosy, whose body was ravaged by leprosy, missing a nose, missing ears, covered in ulcers, there is no way that a priest in his right mind would be like, yeah, you're all right. Because people with leprosy don't look all right. They look like medically they're in a lot of trouble. But Jesus says, go and present yourself to a priest. The fact that Jesus sent him off meant that he was not only cured of the leprosy, but that his body was fully restored. But going back to that question, why this extra step? Why was it so important that he goes and sees a priest? kind of seems like extra work, doesn't it? I mean, if your body is physically restored, what's the why? Just go and enjoy your life. Why go through this trouble of finding a priest? The reason, though, was that Jesus wanted this man to experience restoration in every aspect of his life. Because remember how I described the impact of leprosy on an individual. Physically, your body was corrupted. You were contaminated by this illness. Socially, you were cut off from the world. Emotionally, you can only imagine how devastating this illness would have on a person's mental well-being. And spiritually, like I said, this person would be considered unclean and unfit for worship. Through the healing, Jesus has physically cured him. But by sending him to be examined by a priest, by getting him to have himself classified as ceremonially, ceremonially clean, it means that Jesus is restoring this man, not just physically, not just emotionally, but socially, restoring his place in the community so that he can be a part of community once again, and spiritually, because he's no longer unclean, no longer unfit for worship, he's able to worship God amongst a community of believers. He's able to worship God with his people. Jesus wanted this man to experience restoration in every aspect of his life because he knew this man wasn't just hurting physically, but he knew that he was hurting socially, emotionally, and spiritually. And through the healing detailed in today's passage, we see that Jesus was able to restore this man physically, socially, emotionally, and spiritually. Now, there's one more detail that we need to look at before we go into the application, and that was the instruction for this man, to this man rather, from Jesus to not tell anyone of the healing. Uh, verse 45, doesn't seem like he heeded this command though. Like Jesus says, don't tell anyone you've been healed, 
Uh, but verse 45 says, Instead, he went out and began to talk freely and spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in the lonely places. Yet people still came to him wherever he went. We saw in the preceding passages that Jesus, when he encountered a demon, and the demon started declaring who Jesus was, Jesus prohibited the demons from speaking about him. And it's understandable, because why would you want the forces of darkness proclaiming and evangelizing your name? Uh, you can understand why Jesus would prevent the demons. But why stop this man? This is a man that is, that's experienced the power of God firsthand. Why stop this man from proclaiming the Christ? The answer uh, can actually be found in last week's passage. Because you remember Jesus' name, rumors about Jesus, was spreading like wildfire. Last week we saw that the entire population of Capernaum came to see Jesus. But the problem was they were coming to seek out Christ for all the wrong reasons. When they saw Jesus, they saw a man who was an exorcist, had authority over demons. They saw a man who was a great preacher. They saw a man who was a miracle worker. They saw a man who was potentially their next earthly king and could overthrow the Roman Empire. However, they didn't recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't understand that he was the Christ, the son of the living God, second person of the Trinity. They didn't understand that he was the creator of the universe. And they certainly didn't understand that the incarnation of Jesus, the purpose of him coming into the world, was to fulfill the mission of salvation. That his purpose wasn't to establish an earthly kingdom, but it was to die. And so Jesus, knowing this, tells this man, don't tell anyone. I don't want my mission to be hindered. I'm not here to be an earthly king. I'm not here to make a reputation or a name for myself. I'm here to die. I'm here to go to the cross. And so he tells this man, don't tell anyone. Jesus didn't come to be a warrior messiah. Jesus wanted his road to Calvary to remain clear and unhindered. And that's how today's passage ends. In a nutshell, Jesus encounters a leper, heals the leper, tells him to remain silent, and the leper doesn't remain silent. He tells everyone. Uh, and so reflecting back on this passage, uh, we have to ask that big question, so what? What can we take away from a passage like this? And unlike my previous sermons, I'm not going to share three applications. I just want to share one observation. It's a big observation, and there's a lot to unpackage from it. Uh, but I'm hoping that this one observation will provoke a lot of thoughts for you during this Christmas season, and it'll help shape your view of King Jesus and the way you should walk with King Jesus, especially during Christmas. And that one observation is this, that God's grace is enough to save the unsavable. God's grace is enough to save the unsavable. Unsavable. Now, it's no surprise that Jeffrey Dahmer, that, that serial killer that I mentioned at the beginning of my sermon, it's no surprise that this man is categorized as one of the most ruthless, heartless, vile serial killers in human history. 
It's no surprise that many people in the world, after finding about his crimes, consider him to be a man that's beyond salvation, a man that doesn't deserve salvation. But irrespective of what we think or how we feel about this man, what the scriptures reveal to us is that the purpose of the gospel was to save the unsavable, including men like Jeffrey Dahmer. In today's passage, the leprous man was the individual of his day that was considered unsavable. The leprous man was the man who was unsavable and considered to be beyond any kind of help or redemption. And yet this was a man who entered into town at the risk and peril of his own life in the hopes that he could seek an audience with Jesus. Society had classified and categorized this man as a man who was physically corrupted, socially outcasted, spiritually unfit, unclean for worship. And yet, when he breaks the rules and seeks out the Christ, he's not greeted by a face of judgment. He's not cast away by the Christ. But when he encounters the Christ, he is greeted by a face of love, compassion, and mercy. And not only love, compassion, and mercy, but just absolute adoration. Because there is very, something very significant about the way Jesus heals this man in verse 41. Because Jesus heals this man by saying, be clean. And he could have just left it at that. Jesus could have verbally said, I'm going to heal you, you're healed, go away. And that could have been the end. But he's very intentional with how he restores this man. Because he doesn't just verbally declare a healing over his body. He doesn't just restore this body. But verse 41 says that he reached out and he touched this man. He physically touched this man, just like how he healed Peter's mother-in-law in last week's passage. He physically touched the leprous man. And I think Mark was very intentional about including this particular detail in his gospel because it signifies the love, compassion, and mercy that Jesus had for this leprous man. It shows that he didn't consider this leprous man the way the world did. He didn't see this man as a second-class human or a lower-class human. This leprous man was considered by the world as a man beyond redemption, beyond salvation, beyond help. Just like Jeffrey Dahmer, considered by society as a, as a man that's beyond any kind of redemption or salvation. And as much as humanity tries to relegate people into classes as second-class, third-class believers and people, I think... Even though humanity does this, I think we do it to ourselves as well. I think we do this to ourselves when it comes to judging our own lives. Because I don't know about you, but whenever I backslide, or I fail God, or I fall into sin, or if I look back at my life, I'm like, I'm spiritually not in a place where I should be. And I'm sure you can resonate with this. I think when I have this revelation that I am not where I should be, I've stumbled again and again, 
I feel a sense of shame. And I know it's not just me. When I talk about shame, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this sense of shame where it's like, I can't come to God right now. I can't approach this throne of grace the way I am now. I've screwed up too many times. Maybe you have habitual sin in your life. That sin that you keep repenting of again and again. You lost count of how many times you tried to fight this sin and it just keeps coming back. You keep stumbling over the same obstacle. You keep promising God, not this time. And yes, this time it happens again. And you feel a sense of shame thinking, I cannot come to the Christ, not this time. And kind of like the way the world categorized the leprous man and the world categorized men like Jeffrey Dahmer, we kind of classify ourselves when we stumble and we backslide. We put ourselves in this compartment of being a second-class believer. Yes, I've received God's grace, but I don't deserve it this time. And we forget that what makes God's grace so powerful and special is that the grace of God is more powerful than the wickedness of all humanity for all of history combined. When Christ went to the cross, he measured it all out and he paid for all of it. So that no matter how tainted our sin makes us, one drop of the precious blood of Christ is enough to make anyone in the eyes of God whiter than snow. And in today's passage, we find an individual who might have felt like he was cut off, might have felt like he was abandoned by the world and by God and didn't deserve mercy or grace. We find an individual that felt like he'd been relegated to being a second or a third class human. Yet the Christ, when he encountered him, didn't look upon him as a second class human. When this leprous man sought out the Christ, he really should have died then and there. He broke the rules. People should have picked up stones and killed him. But when he looked up to the Christ, he falls down on his knees out of desperation and he places his hope in Christ alone. And he says, if you are willing, cleanse me, heal me. And after breaking the rules, he looks up at the face of his saviour and he's not greeted by a face of judgment, but he's greeted by a face of love, compassion and mercy. And in the same way, when we stumble and when we backslide and when we fall into that same habitual sin that we can't seem to purge from our life, we can't seem to get victory over, we don't need to beat ourselves up and keep beating ourselves up over it and classify ourselves as second or third class believers. We don't need to tell ourselves, God's not going to take me back this time. But if we approach the throne of grace in repentance and we look up to the face of Christ, just like the leprous men, we will be greeted by a face of love, compassion, and mercy. And what makes this possible is the great transaction. I know Pastor Eddie mentioned this. I'm not sure if you remember. But as Christ comes into the world, lives the perfect life we couldn't live, dies the death 
We were meant to die. There is a great transaction that occurs as Christ hangs on the cross on Calvary where he takes our place. The sins of the world he places upon his shoulders and he imputes or credits to us his perfect righteousness. He trades places with us. And what's crazy about today's passage is we see it foreshadowing this salvation that's going to come because Christ trades places with this leprous man. Symbolically, not literally, but symbolically. Because where was this leprous man before he came to see Christ? Remember I said the lepers were cast out of society. They had to live in the desert or the wilderness. Christ heals the leper, sends him where? Into town, back into community, back into a place of life. But where does Christ go according to today's passage? In the final verse, it says that he went outside into the lonely places, the desert, the wilderness, the place where the leper came from. We don't need to hide ourselves away from the Christ. We don't need to deceive ourselves thinking, this Christ isn't going to hear me now. We don't need to work or tiptoe our way back to God. We don't need to earn our way back into the graces of God. And I want to prove this by giving you a proof text. I'm going to conclude today's sermon by reading from Hebrews 4.16. The author of Hebrews writes, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Not with fear. We don't have to tiptoe our way back to God, but he says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, meaning you can dance your way back into the presence of God so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The author of Hebrews invites us to approach the throne of grace with confidence and an assurance that when we look up to the face of our Saviour, that we will be greeted by a face of love, compassion, and mercy, because God's grace is enough to save the unsavable. And that grace means that despite all of our failings, if we come to the throne of grace in repentance, He will receive us. We won't be greeted by a face of judgment. We will be greeted by a face of love, compassion, and mercy. Now, uh, I'd like us to enter into a time of prayer in this moment. Uh, I don't know where you are spiritually, but I think everyone knows what it's like to feel broken at some point in your life. And through the gospel, and during Christmas, what we celebrate in the incarnation is that God kickstarts this rescue mission so that we don't have to remain broken. Our God is a God of restoration. And so if you do feel broken at this moment, I encourage you to pray in repentance and lay your sins down at the feet of Christ. Lay your burdens down at the feet of Christ. And I invite you in this time to just close your eyes, look up at the face of your Savior. Look at this face of love, compassion, and mercy. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for everything that you reveal through your word to us. Lord, all of humanity knows what it's like to feel broken. But I pray for the brothers and sisters within FLM and even for myself, that we would not remain in our brokenness. But by clinging to the gospel and the cross of Christ, that we would repent and look up to the arms of our Saviour and understand that you don't desire us to remain in brokenness, but you've given us a path of restoration to move out of brokenness and into life, to be able to live embraced by the arms of our Saviour and to be able to walk alongside Him all the days of our life into eternity. And so I pray for anyone in this room that is healing or hurting, that is hurting rather, that you would grant healing and restoration into their life, that you would allow them to look up to the arms of their Saviour and see the face of Jesus, the face of love, compassion, and mercy. And it's in the mighty name of Christ, I pray. Amen.